A little more than 200 years ago in America, there was a movement around freedom. And although it started out as a movement of freedom in terms of politics and governance, uh, it started out as a movement in terms of freedom of choices and religion and, and how to live our lives, um, you know, it brought about a little bit of trouble around with it. I remember the, the period around the Declaration of Independence and some things like that, you know, there caused some controversy here. And although it set the stage for the freedom that we enjoy in America today, I would say that that's the way to look at it, is that it set the stage for it. And as you know, we've been um, covering this book called The Art of Power this last month, uh, this last month by Thich Nhat Hanh. And he would say that really we've scratched the surface in terms of freedom. Because it isn't just the outside of things. It isn't just that we're free to uh, be here on Sunday, uh, you know, in, in quote, worship, <laughs> the way that we choose to be. It's not just that we get to vote for um, elected officials. It's just not the outside of things. Are we free on the inside? Are we experiencing truly the freedom that we want, that we deserve, that is our birthright? We're going to talk about that today. Thich Nhat Hanh has a very easy answer, and I'll give you the answer first. So in case anyone needs to leave to run to a picnic, you can. But I think it'll, 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 be, it'll take us a while to get there, because the answer is simply being in the present moment. But how often have we heard that, right? That may be the answer, but the path is a little more complicated than that. And I want to start with the idea of freedom. Because I hear freedom talked about really in two different kinds of classifications. And I think it bears discussion a little bit. First of all, I hear people talking about freedom from. Do you know what I mean? And examples of this, I hear people say, well, I wish I was free from that darn job. I wish I was free from um, maybe the arthritis that's bothering me. I, I wish I was free from the worries around my family and my teenage children. I wish I was free from those house payments, right? <laughs> Mortgages have turned upside down. This is a real common one. You know, here I'm paying for this house and it's worth half of what it used to be. I wish I was free of the responsibilities of being in a family relationship. I wish I was free. Do you know what I mean? Now, there's also another kind of freedom that I heard talk about. And if the former was the freedom from, then there's equally a freedom to. And here, I, here the tone changes a little bit. It, it sounds a little more lovely. It sounds a little more heartfelt. And I hear people talking about the freedom to be happy, the freedom to enjoy myself, the freedom just to take a day off and go to the beach, the, the freedom to really explore some of my passions in life, the, the freedom just to, to be with the grandkids and let everything else go. A little bit different, isn't it? Doesn't the freedom to... Speak to your heart a little bit more than the freedom from. Well, Thich Nhat Hanh and, and sort of the Buddhist ideal will tell you the difference between freedom from and freedom to is usually stuff. And if you think, no, no, really. And if you think about what we want to be free from, it's usually something on the outside, isn't it? Doesn't it have to do with the things that we put a big emotional investment in, whether it be a house or a family or a job or, right, raising the teenagers in a certain way, being in relationship with someone you love, but in a certain way? It's, the, it's our idea of trying to fix the world, and, and especially the stuff in it, 
that causes a lot of the trouble for us, that causes those chains of bondage. I mean, none of us are really physically changed to anything on the planet, but oh, doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Some Monday mornings when you're at work, some really unpleasant discussions you have to have with family members, uh, uh, sometimes paying the bill at the end of the month, right? Doesn't it feel like there are chains reaching out in many us in various sundry ways? Yeah. And most of those are because we have a stake in stuff. And if you think about the stuff of our lives, the houses and cars that we own, the relationships that we have, the children that we've raised, the, the job that we go to, these require maintenance. Oh my God, don't they? Um, Daniel and I are looking at already, you know, our quote, brand new house already has some needs of repairs on it. And I thought to myself, you know, this is interesting. I thought we bought a brand new house so that we could go for years without any maintenance, right? Oh, that was a lovely dream. <laughs> but you know, it isn't just houses, it's cars, it's, uh, it's relationships, right? How many of us got into a real love relationship thinking, this is just going to enhance everything. It'll just be a, a dream of luxury and love only to find, oh my gosh, does a relationship ever need a little tinkering with now and then that a relationship requires maintenance? And those of us that are blessed with children, oh my God, <laughs> if they only warned us ahead of time, we might have sworn off sex. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right? It's, it's like, you know, all the way along the way. And, and of course, I don't want to think of our friends and loved ones or our family as possessions, but often don't we kind of treat them that way, right? It's the house I have. It's the relationship I have. It's the partner I have. When we put them in those terms, we, they are like possessions, and we do have to, quote, maintain them. And over time, it can feel like a weight on us to be holding them into some kind of a form that's going to give us happiness. And that, of course, is the big trouble here. That is the big bondage that we put on ourselves. And that is we think that our happiness is dependent on the outside world looking, behaving, showing up in a certain way because I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when the marriage is going really well. I'll be happy when the house is fixed up. I'll be happy when that new car comes. I'll be happy when, um, when retirement comes. I'll be happy when. <laughs> and that's the true shackle. Because believe it or not, happiness is now or never. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If you're counting on happiness to be next week or when you retire or when the kids are finally off to college or, or when the house is finally paid off or what, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, good luck with that. Let me, <laughs> let, let me know, honestly, let me know if you're any happier then. The Buddhist ideal that we're kind of talking about this month is that happiness is now or never. It's right now or, you know, maybe not. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit more now in terms of this idea of the stuff 
that gets in the way of our happiness. So, so there's a, 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 Buddhist, um, a Buddhist saying, uh, kind of almost a joke, although kind of more um, whimsical than outright funny. So, um, so the Buddha is sitting in a field and, and has many of his uh, monks around him, and a man riding a horse charges by, and, and the, nun, the, the monks, you know, they're, they're meditating. They, there's an awareness of the horse charging by, but that's about it. A few hours later, here comes the horse again, the man on top of it, and they're zooming by in the other direction. This time around, one of the monks kind of like turns his head a little and, you know, kind of acknowledges that something happened. Third time, man on the horse, they see it from the distance, and the monks are really curious at this point. So finally, one of them breaks their, breaks their silence and yells off, so where are you headed? What's going on? The man replies, you'd have to ask the horse. <laughs> What in your life is acting as the horse? Because I want to suggest to you that if we think our lives are, quote, on track, and it has to do with the job, if it has to do with the marriage looking a very specific and certain way, if it has to do with getting the kids through college, do you know what I mean? If these things that occupy our time, if they are in charge of you, you are like the man on the horse. And are you going where you want to go? Maybe, right? But maybe not. Here's how uh, Thich Nhat Hanh puts it in this lovely book. He says, The practice of business people, politicians, artists, teachers, even parents, all of us, is to learn to look at what we do as a non-horse. You do your work in your company, in your organization, at home, with family, with friends, but do it free. You're not a slave of your job. You're not a slave of your, of your family. You're not a slave of relationships. You're not a slave of any horse. You are simply working for the well-being of many people, including yourself. To make this investment in others, you need to be a free person. If you are a slave to your business, to your busyness, and to your ideas, to your family, to anything, you can't manage it. You're intelligent enough to know that you have to devote time to yourself, to your community, to your family. But as long as your work or your busyness is holding the reins, you're not going to manage it. All right. Time to switch gears and talk about the freedom too. But to set this up, um, I found um, an honest-to-goodness Buddhist joke. So we'll, we'll see if this one's funnier. I, I think it's funnier. So a man is stranded on an island with only a dog and a pig. After eating nothing but bananas and coconuts for a whole year, the pig starts looking somewhat tasty. But... By now, the dog and the pig have become buddies. So when the man approaches the pig with anything like uh, hunger, the dog bites him. So this happens, <laughs> this happens many times over many months, much to the man's frustration. The pig's looking tasty, but the dog doesn't have anything to do with it. One day, the man sees a cruise ship standing in the water. He sees people on board eating a lovely lunch. He waves his arms animatedly and catches the attention of the crew. And sure enough, they send a boat over for him. The crew member asks the man, Now before we take you on board, 
you know, before your life starts over again, is there anything I can do for you right now? And the man says, yeah, would you mind taking that dog for a walk? (laughs) What I want to suggest is that maybe your cruise boat is in already. What I want to suggest is that maybe you have become so wrapped up in how you think your life is supposed to be, how sure you are that it's this next promotion, how convinced you are that you'll be happy when you finally find that special someone to live with, right? All of these are the promises. All of these are the horses that we're riding. All of these are the the firm thoughts of where that meal is going to come from and how tasty that little pig is going to be. And I want to suggest to you, what if the cruise boat has already pulled up right alongside you? Are you going to get on board? Are you going to start enjoying yourself? Are you going to find out what you want freedom to do? Or are you going to just keep riding that horse and hope it takes you in a direction that will be good for you? I think we have a fundamental choice here. So freedom too. The freedoms are often to be, not just freedom to, but freedom to be. Freedom to be with loved ones. Freedom to be powerful. The the freedom to explore and to be some new creative outlet in your life. The, The freedom to love and be loved. These are the freedoms too, and they sound a lot different. They don't have that much to do with the stuff. You can be free, you can be loved, you can be capable, you can be compassionate, regardless of what's going on around you, right? It doesn't matter what the job is. It doesn't, well, and and I want to stop here for just a second because oftentimes we think that in order for our life to be supported, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but in order for our life to be supported, we have to work hard doing something that probably isn't to our liking or, or toil away, if you will. I think that is probably the most frightening horse of all. Because we're putting aside something beautiful inside of us, pinning our hopes on something that may not be beautiful at all, somehow hoping it'll get back to that intrinsic quality that we already started with. Now, I'm not saying any of us should quit our jobs at all. And in fact, the Buddhist tradition, and I too will tell you, when we're at work, we should be there 100%. That's part of being fully present as well. But if we're thinking that job is going to lead us to our happiness, if we're thinking that... um, that special relationship is going to lead us to our happiness. If we think our fulfillment is in our kids, if we think the definition of who you are is based on your role as a mother or a healer or a musician, if you have yourself entirely tied up in some definition out there, that's the horse you're riding. And I hope it's taking you in a direction that's okay. Sometimes they do, right? Uh, even, even, in my Buddha, even in my Buddhist story, my hope would be that guy got back to the barn at night, right? Because the horse often has fairly good instincts. But do we just want to live a life of instinct? I don't think so. I think we want to have more choices to make. All right. So there are two 
problems with, or two, I've heard two complaints about this idea of really living the mindful life, of being present moment focused, of taking the enjoyment always in the here and now, of spending every second right now in the full and present moment, being fully aware of what's going on. I've heard a couple problems with this, or a couple questions about this. One, I've heard that it means you can't plan for the future and you can't use information from your past. The idea is being in the present, right? Not really. It doesn't really work that way. The ideal is we don't dwell on the future and the past. We don't allow the future or the past to be that horse we're riding. But certainly we can make plans, and we make them 100% in the present moment. So when you're in an atmosphere of planning, whether it be, uh, you know, some of us were planning the picnic earlier for next week, and who's going to do this and who's going to do that, we're living for that moment, which includes the planning. What we're not doing is saying, gosh, I hate being in this stupid meeting and I'm really, and I'm really looking forward to next week because my joy will be at the picnic. Do you know what I mean? My joy is right now in that meeting with those people. I'm surrounded by love and God, even when I'm in a committee meeting, right? That's the joy. That's the present moment. That's the awareness of the people in that room and what they've brought to it, the love that they are, the joy that they have. This is the beauty of life. And of course, we're going to have a great time at the picnic, right? Because we're planning it in the midst of love itself. We're planning it from that present moment held in love. Now, the other complaint I hear sometimes about really living in the present moment is that it takes away from our family. And I think there's this idea of uh, when you want to become centered and more present focused that you're like uh, Eckhart Tolle that went and spent a whole year sitting on a, on a park bench, right? And if you're like me, I hear this story, he's telling it, I think, to Oprah. I'm hearing this story and I'm thinking, well, that's interesting, but like after month number two, wouldn't his family have worried? <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? I, I'm thinking if I did that, there are people right in this room that would organize an intervention. <laughs> and so maybe this idea of, of a spiritual quest, that inward journey, you know, we're picturing people sitting on park benches and being away from their families and it's all inward focus and, you know, I can't just give up my life. I'm certainly not going to give up my family. And it's not like that. Being in the present moment, really being centered in what's going on in your life can happen all the time, does happen all the time. And if there are any moments of introspection where, where you're going to turn that focus inward instead of being with your family, I will tell you your family will just benefit from it later on. And uh, by way of proof here, too, um, I did a little research, and, uh, and, I, and I think I'd like to close with this today. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, so there was a survey done of a, a few thousand um, kids from age about five up into their teenage years that was completed on December 29th, so just at the end of last year, by someone named Aaron Kurt. And the question that he asked um, hundreds and well, a few thousand uh, kids was, what do you want most from your mother and your father? So I listened to this and I thought, well, you know, I watch TV, so what they want is the latest DVD of the Transformers movie, right? <laughs> they want that last edition of Harry Potter. You know, they want the princess. I see the princess dresses on all those little girls. Those aren't made at home anymore, right? That's like store-bought stuff. That's what they're going to say. 
was I surprised. Here are what several thousand kids said that they want from their parents. To come into my bedroom at night, tuck me in and sing me a song. Older kids said, to tell me stories about when you were my age. Little kids said, give me hugs and kisses and sit and talk with me privately, one-on-one. Spend, and older kids echo that by saying, spend time just with me, not my brothers and sisters. Have it be you and me. Give me good food. <laughs> I like that one. I guess that, <laughs> I guess that one didn't surprise me a lot. But this one maybe did surprise me a little bit because I had thought families didn't do this anymore. But kids want to. At dinner, let's talk about what we can do together on the weekend. At night, talk to me about anything. Love, school, family, etc. Be there for me. This next one, too, reminds me of when I was a kid. I would have said this. Let's play outside a lot. (laughs) And here's one from the younger group. Cuddle under a blanket with me and watch our favorite TV show together. Here's one from older kids. Teach me stuff. It makes me feel like you care. And then last but not least, and this is one actually that my own mom did when I was uh, up till I think about junior high and then I got too embarrassed. Leave special messages in my desk or my lunch bag. Now, if several thousand kids, and this was just, you know, this isn't a survey done in the 50s. This was last December. These are modern kids. If this is what people want from us, this is a horse that's worth riding, isn't it? This is being focused in the present moment. That's what they're wanting. They're wanting you, authentically you, to be present with them, fully present. That's why several of the, the questions said, with me privately, right? Not, not you and me and, you know, in a big group of people, or not you and me at the movies, but you and me one-on-one talking. Let's communicate. Let's be real with each other. Let's notice what's going on. Let's feel the love. Let's spend quality time. I'm going to end with a bit of homework for you tonight. This is something that I would really like you... You know, often I say my homework is optional. Today, I'm going to make it mandatory. I don't know what that, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but, but if I knock on your door, you know, think quickly here. here, uh, here here's the homework I would like to assign to you. Much in the way that this person asked all of these kids what they want from their parents, here's the question I would like to, you to ask to yourself. What are the top 10 things you want from life? What are the top 10 things that you want from life? And once you've completed that, ask yourself how many of them are part of the cruise boat that's already parked outside your door. How many of them are the friends and the families? How many of them is the simple availability of love of the people you care about? How many of them are the, the simple smile from a coworker or the gracious hug from someone here at church maybe? How many of them are things you already own and probably haven't paid nearly enough attention to? How many of us are out there riding the horse or questing after eating that poor little pig? 
when the cruise boat is right parked right outside your door. So let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is that thing that I call life. And what I know about life is that it's irrepressible. It is joy. It is love. It is that uh, bond that we have with other people. It is that sense of unity and belonging. It is that God that is there always, always providing, always nurturing, always loving. And I know because this is the infinity of the universe that it also means me, that I'm part of that love, that, that coming to me in my lifetime is that cruise boat. It's parked right outside my door, and I am accepting of the present moment to explore it, to love it, to play with it, to nurture it, even as it nurtures me. And I know this is true for everyone in this room, that there is a willingness to examine our lives, each and every one of us, for truly what we want from life. In its perhaps simplest form, what is it that we want from life? What is it that brings us happiness? And I know that for each person in this room, that from now on there comes a greater clarity around how to simply claim it in the present moment. And I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful, as always, for God showing up as the people in this room. Grateful for life itself. I just let it be, and so it is. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks so very much.